Hey everyone, and welcome to the NCAST. I'm Guy Weissmantle, your host and Executive Vice President of Marketing here at NContracts. In this podcast, our subject matter experts from across the company will be talking with industry thought leaders about relevant topics and trends in compliance and risk management for financial institutions. You'll learn the latest tips and tools to manage risk in this ever-changing environment. Let's get started. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today, Tara. What a pleasure it is to speak with you. Just as in, from an introduction perspective, we're talking with Tara Swart, Director, Compliance Services at All Covered in their financial division. Good morning, Tara. How are you? Well, nice to see you, Michael. Nice to see you too. So I actually have written some questions for our time together today. And, you know, a certain point here, Normally, when I write questions for these interviews, I, I think about what the industry and our audience, you know, what they might want to learn, right, or, or key points. But what I found in these questions were things that I actually would like to learn um, as well, right? So I really am particularly excited about your responses. And if it's okay with you, um, we're going to go ahead and jump right into these questions. Sounds great. All right, great. So, Tara, out of all the different frameworks out there addressing information security and cybersecurity to include NIST, COBIT, ISO, and CIS, what would you say is the best for community-sized financial institutions to adopt? You're right. There are a lot of frameworks. Um, can I pick letter Z? <laughs> <laughs> all of these. I would answer that question um, for community financial institutions. I would say follow the FFIEC guidance. Start with the IT Information Security Handbook. Uh, There's several other handbooks that talk more about information technology management, information technology outsourcing. Those handbooks rely on NIST in a large way. Um, So they are tied to the NIST framework. But I think that they more clearly outline what the bank and credit union regulators are looking for. It can get pretty hairy in some of those frameworks. They're very extensive, but in some ways, I think that it's all consolidated and more e- more user-friendly if you look at the information security handbook. FFIEC is uh, commonly uh, known across the industry and uh, for smaller community-sized institutions, starting there uh, sounds like the best, best course. So, okay, great. Here's the next question. It's established that there are many different organizations offering insight in how to properly manage information security with the exception of ISO, which uh, just by its namesake, International Organization for Standardization uh, is for international standards. But what is the need for so many entities, again, other than the ISO? Well, I think that there are a lot of different applications and a lot of it depends what sector you're in. Um, So some of those um, organizations are more applicable uh, to, let's say, government or healthcare or things like that. And I think when it comes to banks and credit unions, I think that's why it's important going back to the FFIEC guidance and then using um, a NIST uh, standard to drill into the more specifics around the FFIEC guidance, which can be somewhat vague sometimes. I think there's opportunity for 
a lot of insight. I mean, some of those organizations gather some of the greatest minds out there in information security. So I think the more, the better. That being said, to your point, it can make it hard to say, okay, which one should we really be looking at here? There's just, it's information overload, right? So I think following the FFIC guidance is kind of your standard and then digging in using NIST is a good way to approach it. That being said, you did mention, I think, CIS, the CIS-20. The CIS-20 is a great summarization of a lot of the controls that are spoken to in the FFIC guidance and in NIST. So I would add that one in there as well. And last but not least, the Department for Homeland Security. So the FFIC, um, I think it was in 2018, published a list of resources for banks and credit unions to use from an information security perspective. So, and that's not just small community banks, that's community financial institutions in general. You'll see that most of that list is around the De- Department of Homeland Security, FSI SAC, um, as a way to keep abreast of any changes that are going on kind of to the minute, and of course, their own guidance. I have not been leveraging the Department of Homeland Security in this regard. Okay. Uh, and so I can't wait to actually go and look at uh, this resource. And uh, actually, so to speak a little more specifically about NIST, that's our next question. If we look at the NIST framework, um, we understand there are five functions, in which is similar to the FFIEC with five domains. And then there's 23 categories associated with those functions. And then when we look at each category, we see subcategories. I think NIST has somewhere around 108, maybe. And then for each one of those subcategories, we see various publications that are provided that seem to be referencing the controls that are expected for those subcategories. And so you've already kind of answered his questions because it's like, when we focus on FFIC with a NIST, like like side, or if we go advanced, we're going to go NIST. But the time that it takes for community institutions to go into every one of those references to find controls, how is that even possible? Well, I, I think one way is to leverage a an outsourced virtual information security officer, because then all that research is being done on your behalf. So you don't have to have your employees dig through that information themselves. It's already kind of been funneled through and the appropriate kind of portions have been pulled out. Uh, I think that is one way to to leverage a third party, and it could be very cost effective that way. That being said, there is one, I guess, two areas of NIST that I would recommend really digging into from a perspective of information security. One is password um, protection and uh, elevated privileges. Their guidance around all of that is excellent. That being said, the FFIC is a little bit behind the eight ball concerning some of their recommendations, like non-expiring passwords and things like this, that the FBIC is still kind of not too comfortable with, um, but it is quickly becoming the standard, um, following the NIST standard for password security. The other is incident response. Uh, I think that every bank that I work with is following the incident response framework from NIST, and that's because it's best in class. I mean, it breaks it down very clearly into the categories, identify, protect, respond, recover. You know, it's a very easy framework to follow. Um, And I think that the examiners look highly upon it. 
So those are two areas of NIST that I would I would recommend digging into. But to go back to your original question, it may make sense to leverage a consulting company to um, assist you with things like your uh, information security policy, make sure everything aligns with NIST without having your employees digging through all of that information. Yeah, that, those are really good points of advice and, and, and points that you bring up. And, and to further on the incident response topic, you know, What's top of mind right now, it's a SolarWinds breach, is the most recent publicly made known uh, breach um, for, from a third-party perspective. Do you have anything to offer and what we should be doing in an incident response specific to the SolarWinds breach? Absolutely. I'm actually spending a lot of time on this right now, as you can probably imagine in my role right. um, leading the team. So I think a mistake that some smaller community financial institutions are making is thinking that it doesn't impact them. It impacts every financial institution out there because it's so widespread. Solar winds um, is so widely used, maybe not within financial institutions, but within the service providers for financial institutions. So um, having your instant response plan activated is a must for this incident. Um, we're calling it actually the sunburst breach uh, because that's the name of the vulnerability that was inserted into the SolarWinds software. So even though your managed service provider uh, may not have been using the SolarWinds Orion platform, Orion is the platform that was infected, there are many other implications. There are a couple of uh, core processors that were using SolarWinds Orion uh, and there's many other service providers that were as well. So at the very least, from a vendor management perspective, you need to make sure that you're reaching out proactively to all of those vendors that can touch your systems and touch your confidential information and make sure you understand the steps that they've taken to either follow the Department of Homeland Security guidance and you know unplug everything, uh, convert everything over to a different tool, just make sure that they're responding it and get a positive assertion from them that your information was not impacted. I think that's a huge implication of this of this particular breach. Yeah, you know, fourth party risk, right? And so uh, now, not necessarily a question that I had came into this with, but you know, there's a lot of, of course, the industry is much more aware of the risk related to fourth parties. And we understand that during like a uh, like a SOC port, right, where an SSAE 18 standard is being applied, we, it should be communicated in the results. What are those fourth parties that are performing at least critical functions? Um, again, and this is for a vendor that has access to store or transmits data. Yeah. Um, anything to, to you know, in that regard, should we, is that what we're looking back to identify? Is the fourth party Orion involved with my vendors? It's definitely those that have access to sensitive data. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think drilling down into that next layer of subcontractor, or in this case of tools that are being used by your managed service provider is essential. Um, and you made a good point. Start with the SOC reports because they clearly call out the subservicer um, requirements and what controls are put placed on them. That may mean um, that your data is in places that you didn't know it, it actually exists. So it's not just your service provider and their uh, cloud. You know, it could be your service provider and their service provider's cloud as well has your data. So that was a, that's a great point. There's a lot of questions on, well, what do I do with all that information? And would you recommend that 
if somebody does identify that, oh, originally we, we thought that it was not relevant because it wasn't, we weren't using them, but then we would find out that it was a subservicer or fourth party. Um, but the, the information I, I received as part of the SOC uh, did not include an, an awareness of the incident response of what, what our client will do or what, what additional work that they'll do to understand what the implication was. Um, and you could be left with a lot of unknowns. Of course, it's a risk-based approach on what do you do today, or maybe even that, that consideration carried forward to, forward to decisions made for tomorrow. But uh, what would be your advice in the lack of information that I found out that there's a subservicer, but that's all I know? Uh, I would actually, it's funny, we have um, a, a particular client who is drilling down now, now with us, um, even though All Covered it was not using SolarWinds Orion, but just from that, that overall question around subservicers and, and where that data is at, I would, my advice would be to um, not be complacent. So even if you get a kind of non-response from your vendor, the vendors that really want your business are going to take the time with you to walk you through and make sure you understand, especially vendors that understand the standards that banks and credit unions are held to. You're absolutely expected to know everywhere your data resides. So if that means drilling down three stages in, you may get some annoyance uh, <laughs> expressed by some of those service providers, but hopefully not from the ones that understand you're doing your due diligence. So I would say definitely continue to drill down. A lot of the vendors out there are amping up kind of their due diligence information um, because there's a lot of pressure from the regulatory agencies to the banks, from the bank's vendor management systems to those third parties. So nobody should be surprised anymore that you're like drilling down to that next layer. So I would say persistence is key. <laughs> yeah, you know, the the prescriptive requirement or expectation isn't quite there yet, but you're right. Mm-hmm. There, It's not news though. So, yes. <laughs> uh, okay, okay. Because of the things that you're seeing and because of, you know, we've talked about solar winds and then, you know, what I learned, and I wrote that down actually, the sunburst, uh, which is... It's, it's one and the same, but it's a different aspect of it, right? Well, what do you, so not only that, right? Because I feel we've talked about that at a, at, a, at a pretty good amount today, but if there had to be a biggest mistake, uh, just in general, across um, the financial industry, with regards to information security, what might that be? I would say in working with banks for so many years, um, and especially over the, the last five years or so, The biggest mistake I see, especially smaller community banks still making, is completely outsourcing the responsibility for oversight. So um, you have your managed service provider, maybe you have a managed security service provider, MSSP, um, and there tends to be this feeling, okay, well, I'm paying these parties to make sure that I'm secure. So uh, that's the extent of what I need to do. I, I go to the board once a year and tell them, all covered has it covered or whatever third party has it covered. Um, but that's not enough, is absolutely not enough. The, the reality is managed services is tough. There are so many moving parts from patching to vulnerability scanning to your security information event management system. I don't care what company you have those with. Somebody needs to be looking at those reports that are coming out <laughs> to make sure it's operating the way it needs to. Um, so I, I would say that when we bring on a new virtual information security client, 
that the first couple reviews, we always find a lot of stuff. And it's just because in, in your mind, you're thinking, well, I'm the CFO of a bank. I don't know about information technology specifically. So I'm relying on this service provider. It's just not enough. Um, and I think the examiners are starting to kind of come down on some even smaller financial institutions with making sure that they have that level of insight. So I would say that is, is probably the biggest mistake I see currently kind of being out there. We've seen a big improvement in banks making the investment into information security, even smaller ones. So um, I would say four to five years ago, a lot of our financial institutions didn't even have a security information and event management system. Now that's kind of standard. Um, if you're with a MSP that's selling to financial institutions, a SIM should be part of the package. So that's just clearly, you know, should be there now. That being said, it's this oversight piece. Like this, you have a SIM, but do you even know it's working? How do you know it's working? It's that piece. It's that when you were, I kept on thinking the word challenge um, because, you know, in every single in every single risk discipline there is, right? It, we, we see the word challenge, that the board is expected to challenge results and you know, um, challenge expectations and challenge. I mean, and it's, and I think about the boards that I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, um, some interaction with in my time. And it's, but I don't even know what should I be challenging and what are those, those things. And so, there are some free resources that do that do talk about what the board is expected to have, like these basic, like just basic understanding of an information security program and basic understanding of what risks you have. I mean, the FFIC, they they publish that board report. I mean, it's it's you could take it directly and give it to your board and satisfy your some of your training. Do you hear do you kind of feel the same like in all the disciplines in risk management that the word challenge, while it seems so broad and general? That if you're not doing enough to even understand what you're challenging, then you probably aren't applying the right oversight. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, and I've I've had the opportunity to deal with various different boards. Um, they're all different, but by and large, I think there's still you know board members typically are running their own businesses. Um, they want to be able to rely on an executive management team. Uh, but to your point, it is their responsibility to challenge senior management. It's not enough to just hire somebody with a good resume. You right. have to continually be challenging, challenging them. And how do you challenge someone if you don't really know how to? So you, you make a very, very good point. I think, though, that understanding the basics of information security um, is definitely doable. Uh, some of the other risk methodologies out there, um, asset liability management comes to mind as one that can be extremely difficult as well to understand, um, or maybe your AFFL and CISL and all that good stuff. I would say information security is a bit easier, actually, than some of those other uh, type of risk methodologies out there. So I would encourage board members to um, educate yourself. Like you said, there's some great resources out there. I know the FDIC has some videos out there and, and things like that. So um, I would encourage board members to um, step up to the challenge. I'm going to, we're running short on time. I actually would love to have many more conversations about, I mean, that such an important topic, right? I mean, um, and I don't think, like you said, it's far from the boards. They, this is not something that's catching them by surprise that cybersecurity and information security should be one right. of the most important things that they're talking about today. 
mm-hmm. supervisory priority for the last five years. Yes. It <laughs> uh, <laughs> is not going to change. And the examiners are spending their resources and getting better at how they even look at the, all of this, right? That's so true. everybody's you're really putting the time. So from a crystal ball forecast perspective, with there's so many different aspects of information security, but there was some real relevance recently in it. And so what might that look like from a vendor management perspective? Forecast crystal ball, what do you have to share with us? Uh, information security, how it relates to vendor management. I would say update your vendor management risk assessment. Make sure you know which vendors have your sensitive information, what their controls are, and dig down to that next layer and make sure fourth party risk, you're addressing it. Um, I think that the next big breach that we may have is absolutely going to be similar. It makes sense from a hacker's perspective to try to infect the tools that are being used across the nation in the critical infrastructure of the nation. Um, makes a lot more sense to do that um, than you know to just kind of do a hack of one small bank. That being said, I don't want to minimize the risk of ransomware in particular. Um, That's very lucrative for small-time criminals right now. Uh, So making sure that you're following the recent guidance that was put out around ransomware, which, by the way, is also very focused on third-party risk management, which is, to your point, um, a huge, huge implication um, in the crystal ball going forward. Your vendors, risk assess them appropriately and let that kind of be your starting point. If you have vendors that were impacted, maybe maybe uh, you haven't reached out yet, but when you do, if you have a vendor come back and say that we were using SolarWinds Orion, that should absolutely impact your risk assessment. And I think that if there are, um, you know, those banks that are kind of turning a blind eye to it, I think there could be some regulatory scrutiny in the future for those financial institutions. You, you know, back when... Um... We've, I mean, we've heard this over and over. I say back when, and it just seems so long ago that that the the phrase it's not it's not if it's when. And to your point about what is the next thing, right? Like you said, like the there's a lot more gain for for dealing with to, for attacking and, and being successful at at breaching one organization. It serves so so many. Yeah, definitely. It's it's, it's a scary thing, but. There are things that we realistically can do to minimize our exposure to respond in a quick and effective manner, not just respond and do the 10 steps that maybe not is not helpful. So, man, what a great wealth of information you are, Tara. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Michael. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. Hey, everyone. That wraps up another great episode of the NCAST, where we are able to talk with people on the front lines of risk and compliance across the financial services industry. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. And if you're not subscribed yet, we invite you to do so on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon.